Welcome to episode six of Hosted Payload, the satellite and space law podcast. From Wiley Rhine in Washington, D.C., I'm Henry Gola. Almost 30 years ago, when I was attending Parsippany High School in New Jersey, a lot of folks who were smarter and more well-read than me loved the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books. So this episode goes out to Jason Golib and Sadarshan Gururaj, wherever they may be, as my guest Cindy Grady from Superstar's satellite company Intelsat brings her passion for the Hitchhiker series and joins me to discuss the 2005 movie. But first, my colleague Jillian Quigley handles the orbital debrief to discuss some summer satellite and space news. All right, joining me for the orbital debrief is my colleague Jillian Quigley. Jillian, how you doing? I'm doing well today. How are you doing? Good. Uh, do you have summer vacation plans? Have you been on vacation already this summer? I have. I actually was in the Dominican Republic a couple of weeks ago, which was very fun. Um, but it's good to be back and getting to do the podcast with you. Did you do a resort or did you travel around? I did a resort. Uh, All right. Which was really nice. Yeah. Very nice. It's good to sometimes just go somewhere and chill. All right. So what do we need to know? for July. All right. So our first item up this month, uh, the House is scheduled to vote on H.R. 1338, which is the Satellite and Telecommunications Streamlining Act uh, this week. So the act is going to direct the FCC to, among other things, adopt rules that lay out, quote unquote, specific, measurable and technology neutral performance objectives for space safety and orbital debris. And then it also mandates the FCC to adopt other reforms that will streamline the existing Part 25 licensing procedures for space and Earth stations. Interesting. We'll see if that gets through both the House and the Senate. That's been uh, percolating for a while over there. So does Congress have any other reforms teed up in the next few months? Yes. So there are several other bills that have been introduced in the House and Senate, including a few uh, amendments to the NDAA or the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, But the next one that I think we should keep on the radar is going to be S-1425, which is the Satellite Cybersecurity Act. And so what this does is it directs the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, to develop and maintain a commercial status satellite cybersecurity clearinghouse, which is going to assist operators' cyber readiness and resiliency, because that's quickly becoming uh, an area of concern for a lot of regulators. Of course, a lot of buzz on the Hill for that. Uh, What else is going on? in the space and satellite world. Yeah, so second up this month, uh, General James H. Dickinson of U.S. Space Command spoke last week at the Aspen Security Forum and confirmed that U.S. Spacecom does not and will not provide blanket protection to commercial satellites that uh, host military payloads or contribute to military activities if they're attacked in armed conflict. So this was a it was a headline in the uh, you know the morning space news uh, email. It seemed a little out of the blue. Has this been an issue before? So it has, and this is something that's been discussed extensively in the last few years, especially because there are several satellite operators that either provide support for troops in Ukraine or host payloads that contribute to the war effort in Ukraine. And so as a result, we've seen it play out in real life 
uh, with a cyber attack on a Viasat satellite early last year. And so it's really quickly becoming a hot button issue. So not to put you on the spot here, but are countries legally allowed then to shoot down commercial satellites? Yeah, so experts on the law of armed conflict still disagree about the legality of targeting commercial spacecraft in this way, um, specifically because there's so many nuances in the law of targeting. Uh, but General Dickinson's statements were especially interesting because this is one of the first times that the U.S. military has publicly sig signaled the intent to limit uh, involvement in protection and defense of commercial space assets. So there are several other ways that the military has tried to mitigate these threats, including extensive uh, sharing of space situational awareness with uh, commercial satellite operators. But there's no doubt that this will continue to be an area of concern for satellite and other space operators moving forward. Certainly, certainly so. Uh, uh, there are so many commercial partnerships from the Department of Defense and uh, other of our intelligence agencies that this is an interesting statement and an interesting policy position. All right, what is third? Uh, so third up this month, the European Space Agency is going to attempt a first of its kind experiment that will uh, guide a defunct satellite back to Earth. And so the satellite in question, the AOLIS, was launched in 2018 and was used to measure Earth's wind on a global scale. Uh, and so although the weather satellite exceeded its life expectancy by a few years, ESA decided to decommission it earlier this year after it ran out of fuel. So why should we care about what the ESA is doing here? So when a satellite or other spa spacecraft is decommissioned, operators normally allow it to the orbit to decay, which means that the satellite is designed to eventually re-enter the Earth's atmosphere and burn up entirely. Many of the satellites that were constructed before the current orbital debris mitigation rules were put in place which includes this satellite, the AOLIS, weren't designed to allow for controlled re-entry. And so ESA is attempting what it calls an assisted re-entry instead of an uncontrolled re-entry uh, to reduce the risk of the satellite becoming a source of falling debris. And so what ESA plans to do is use the remaining fuel to steal the AOLIS to the optimal point of entry, and then it'll conduct three sets of orbit lowering maneuvers and eventually bring the satellite to an altitude of about 80 kilometers where it will send its final deorbit commands to the satellite. So just to, just to clarify here for some of our listeners who may not be, you know, so in the weeds, when you're talking about falling debris, we're not talking about orbital debris in space. We're talking about falling debris on Earth, correct? That's correct. It's um, a lot of the time it becomes a concern if there's debris that is falling into airspace and it might hit uh, aircraft or hit property or people on the ground. That often it does fall into the ocean, but um, this Most is- Most of the earth is ocean. So yeah, that's, yes. odds, odds are Lucky. good there. All yeah. right, so if this succeeds, will other satellite operators be able to use this as a model going forward? Yeah, so if this does go according to plan, satellite operators can use similar tactics to deorbit other spacecraft that also lack capabilities for controlled reentry, uh, which will be very exciting and potentially signal some new, uh, new opportunities to improve space safety for some of the older satellites. All right, cool stuff. Jillian, I loved these three things because none of them we're about the FCC. So that's a first. Congratulations on that. Yeah. And uh, thanks for joining us this month. Thank you for letting me come and talk with you. 
All right, welcome back to Host of Payload. Cindy Grady is Assistant General Counsel for Intelsat, which is the operator of the world's largest integrated satellite and terrestrial network. Cindy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad you're here. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the 2005 movie, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm going to give a little recap and then we can dive in. So uh, the movie was adapted from Douglas Adams's franchise of radio comedies and books. Martin Freeman stars as Arthur Dent, one of the last remaining humans, after a group of aliens destroy Earth to make way for an intergalactic bypass. Dent is rescued by Ford Prefect, an alien writing the titular book and played by Mos Def. They join up and travel across the universe with fellow human and love interest Trillian, played by Zoe Deschanel, and president of the universe Zaphod Beeblebrox, played by Sam Rockwell. The movie had generally positive reviews, with several calling it, quote, very British and very funny, unquote, and others saying it was, quote, bland and tedious, unquote. Cindy, in FCC parlance, petition to deny or comments in support of Hitchhiker's Guide. Comments and support. I was raised with Hitchhiker's Guide, so I kind of feel like I'm always obligated to support every reiteration of it. Uh, The Douglas Adams had a thing to do with (laughs) Uh, knowing that you've 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 read the books, do you think the movie was faithful to the books? Too faithful? Not faithful enough? Did it capture the books? How would how would you say the movie did in that respect? So I think it hit the highlights. Uh, I think that it's not supposed to be faithful. I mean, Douglas Adams did have um, a hand in the screenplay, though he died before they went into production on this. But it, mm-hmm. this came out of a radio show, I mean, to your point, to your introduction, and he's varied it some every single retelling. I mean, like, I think the foreword actually pulled out my book and then granted, I I mean, like, it's a tome. It was my parents. (laughs) I've stolen it from my parents. Um, A long time ago, I stole it from them, but um, it's five books. And he says, you know, like, retell it every single time a little different. And I start confusing myself. Uh, So I don't think he ever intended for it to be an exact replica of and none of them are because there's been tv versions of this there's been two radio versions of this um it was never meant to be a true telling the true telling is really the earth is blown up and you've got an every man out in the world and young universe and how do you survive i mean it's existentialism existentialism um in space so i think it did a good job there I did not care too much for the playing up of the love interest piece and i think that's because it was a big budget hollywood hollywood film but um, it didn't kill it, but it was kind of like, okay, it felt a little forced knowing all the other material, uh, but it wasn't horrid. So, but it did have, it does suffer from the early not manic pixie girl problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look back and I don't remember, I saw it when it came out. I don't remember that much manic pixie. And then looking back almost 20 years later, it's like, yeah, Okay, that that definitely yeah. was right in that time period, and that is that character. <laughs> so, but yeah, you bring up an interesting point. This, so, this movie, uh, going back a little bit, it, you said you know it, this movie was in development a long time. It was originally optioned and bought by Ivan Reitman and his crew, and he was going to have Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray in the movie. But then Dan Aykroyd came to him and said, "Let's do Ghostbusters." So they did Ghostbusters <laughs> instead. So this movie sort of saw, uh, sort of sat in limbo. Uh, for a long time. 
Um, what do you think would be a, a better cast? Those two or Martin Freeman and most deaf characters as the two main the two main guys in this film? Most deaf did an amazing job with it. I, I think that, I mean, Ford Prefect's always been one of my favorite characters because he's the one writing the guide. And right. he is the um, mechanism in which you know nothing in our learning something. He he is the teacher for the everyman that is Arthur Dent. And um, I always kind of liked that playoff, but I kind of just liked how he was odd, but relatable enough that you could understand what was going on. Right. He did a really good job of just being like, I don't know what's going on, but you're telling me what's going on. So at least, you know, and he comes off as a very reliable narrator too, both in the books and in the film. Uh, and you think that's kind of odd given he's an alien who, you know, started off and you find out right at the beginning, he'd been lying to Arthur Dent the whole time, yet he makes this very convincing, you know, reliable narrator through the whole piece. Um, Zoe Dashell, like uh, in 2005, I don't think you were going to cast probably anybody else in that. I think had you allowed it not to be so much the love interest and the tension they tried to play out there and just let her be the other human, it, it's like, mm-hmm. kind of like you're the last male and female character, you know, humans in right. the universe a little bit too much because they you really didn't have that in the book. They just kind of existed in the same space. And I, I think that's a much more interesting narrative between two characters than just playing up your boy and your girl. We're going to put you together. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it, it, it's it's definitely a movie of its time. But you also say, like, you know, each time it comes out, it's been sort of adapted a different way. As you said, of course, the author, you know, died in 2001. So if if they rebooted it, which Hollywood is known to do over and over and over again, I think they would probably go TV show, right? Like a longer form TV show to sort of play out a little, few more of the adventures. Do you think they would change the tone or do you think it would still be silly or do you think it would take on more of a 2020s Black Mirror-ish British tone or would it keep more of the Monty Python vibe it had going in this one? Thoughts? I think it's going to keep, it would keep some of the Monty Python. I think that that is necessary by the piece. This is surrealism and existentialism and sarcasm. This, you know, Douglas Adams was part of that whole group that came in um, some some theater group playhouse kind of thing Mm -hmm. at Cambridge that Douglas Adams was part of, John Cleese was part of, I mean, like Hugh Laurie, like it came out of that Stephen Fry, like it is um, very much, that is at the core of the material. I don't think you would have Hitchhiker's Guide if you tried to turn it a little bit too dark. Uh, You'd lose the surrealism as well. I mean, like it's, it is surrealism in its most absurd, whereas Black, you know, Black Mirror is like, can I scare you into being, you know, like, and the, it just takes a different tack to get to the same mm-hmm. place to a certain extent. But I think you would totally lose the material if you couldn't have some of the absurdness to it. Like, that, that's the whole point. Like, the Earth was blown up to put a bypass. Right. How do you make that not absurd? <laughs> right. That's a good point. Speaking of absurd, uh, Sam Rockwell's Zephod character how would you describe what he's going for there? Chaotic, neutral. <laughs> it's just, it's key is, I go back and forth between feeling like he played it a little too hard and then kind of going back to the fact that that character really is 
obnoxious and it's supposed to be obnoxious. And he hit that right. You know, yeah. if you're kind of feeling like, oh, God, seriously, I think you hit it right. And I think that's how the character's supposed to be. And it says a lot. I mean, this is under the underpinnings of this is bureaucracy and, you know, power and how do those things and, and self, you know, realization and how did those things all kind of go together and that's what you see and he is that okay so you have lots of power does it really matter if you're kooky and just off the rails well recent politics in the u.s kind of says probably yeah no it doesn't really matter uh so does this film you know which is yeah he i read it he was look going for a combination of bill clinton george w bush elvis and Bill Murray's character in Kingpin. Uh, three out of those four have Southern accents, which he definitely puts on uh, in this, and then ended up redoing a decade later in Vice when he played W. Um, I thought he sounded a little bit... I thought it, I heard Owen Wilson and Matthew McConaughey. That's what I heard watching it now, doing the movie. And he kind of looked like, I don't know, Vince Neil from Motley Crue. He had like the 80s yeah. rocker vibe give me a minute to realize who it was i'm like that face is familiar but it doesn't it's not familiar right Uh, yeah so uh so yeah definitely an interesting take there uh one casting decision i loved was using the voice of the late great uh alan rickman as uh marvin the depressed robot uh he was my favorite character in the movie what about you yeah i i mean my favorite character in the franchise is Ford, but in this movie, yeah, that just, he shined in that. And I think it's, it's interesting because while Alan Rickman did the voice, it was um, Warwick Davis did the character. Yeah. From um, Willow. Yes. Shout out to that because he does not get nearly as much credit for the work he does that you don't hear his voice on. Uh, it's interesting. I was thinking about it with modern times and all the AI stuff that's coming out now and then looking at this depressed robot and I'm like, yeah, if they ever actually become sentient, I could see how a robot would become depressed. Right. (laughs) Oh, I can see all this stuff and you guys are still doing it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel you. So I, I think he stole, I agree. I think he stole the movie hands down. Yeah, I, I I I like that you pointed out that Warwick Davis was in it too because the body movements uh, are just as funny and uh, well done as the voice, right? Um, Very sad panda. It's like, <laughs> right. and the body that goes with it, and the slouch, and they fine. You know, it's every you know every small child that's been told to clean their room that they can't have ice cream. Uh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> So we talked about what would change and would it change if they did redo it. Should they redo it? Is this a movie, is is this a franchise that's ripe for a new retelling on TV? Probably Disney, I would think. Uh, I don't want to see it. Well, okay. And if if they did redo it, where would you want to see it? I'd leave it in the BBC. I think if you're going to do it, do it as you know, the, the TV format that BBC does. So you have a 12 or a 24 and it's done. I don't, I think the problem with particularly American TV is there's, it's really hard to tell a story that has beginning, middle, end because you're 22 seasons in now. 
and you're just making up right. things. And and granted, Douglas Adam has enough material to do that. Um, I think they were going to do Dirk Gently, which I was really excited for that still hasn't come up. So I'd kind of like to see them maybe look at some of his other material before redoing Hitchhiker's Guide, because all of it has that really tongue-in-cheek, somewhere under here's a serious message, but let me make you laugh so you don't cry about how this reflects on how the world is uh, kind of thing with it. And so I think there's a lot of other material I'd rather see them, you know, fun first, but I'd prefer to see it in like the BBC very closed format that somebody's planned out the whole thing first instead of syndication forever kind of problem that we see. All right. Any last words about this movie? Anything else you wanted to add that I didn't ask? I mean, I, I highly recommend anybody who hasn't read the books, you know, to read them. I think they hold up really, really well. Uh, I thought the movie held up really well, like effect wise and everything else like that. Um, well, right, because the effects are not supposed to be like cutting edge and state of the art. They're supposed to be a little goofy looking, right? So I think yeah, in that but, respect, it it, but even then, got, it doesn't look like corny yeah. and goofy. It doesn't look like right. goofy. It actually just right. holds as an artistic choice kind of thing. Right. So, but um, yeah, I, I think it is a well done story in general. And if you've never been introduced to any of the versions, just pick up one of them. I think it's a, you know, a nice laugh but without, with something behind it. Yeah. So. All right. Cindy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks to Cindy. Thanks to Jillian. And thanks for listening. For all your space and satellite law needs, look us up at Wiley.law.